Introducing Bluehost Cloud, ultra-fast WordPress hosting with 100% uptime. Want a website with unmatched power, speed, and control? Of course you do. And now you can have all three with Bluehost Cloud, the new web hosting plan from Bluehost. With 100% uptime and incredibly speedy load times, your WordPress websites will be dependable and lightning fast on a global scale. Plus, your sites can handle even the biggest traffic spikes without going down or lagging. And with Bluehost Cloud, you get 24-7 WordPress priority support, meaning you're connected to WordPress experts anytime you need them. Not to mention, you automatically get daily backups and world-class security. So, what are you waiting for? Get Bluehost Cloud today by visiting bluehost.com. That's bluehost.com. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Welcome back, everyone, to 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, and Part 2 of The Day of the Dog by Robert Barr McCutcheon. This is your host, John Hagedorn. And to bring you up to speed, you might remember that the attorney, Mr. Crosby, and his client, Mrs. Delancey, are sitting on a hide Y-beam, and they need very much to leave and head for the nearest town. But standing on their way is a very mean bulldog which has every intention of stopping them from going anywhere once they reach the bottom of the ladder. But Crosby has an idea, and that's where we begin part two. I've got a scheme that will make Swallow ashamed of himself to the end of his days. I can't help laughing over it. Hold my coat, please. He removed his coat quickly and passed it up to her. I insist on knowing what you intend doing, she exclaimed. "'Just wait and see me show Mr. Swallow a new trick or two. "'He had already taken his watch and chain, "'his fountain pen, and other effects from his vest, "'jamming them into his trousers' pockets. "'Mrs. Delancey, in the growing darkness, "'looked on, puzzled and anxious. "'You might tell me,' she argued resentfully. "'Are you going to try to swim out?' "'Folding the vest lengthwise, "'he took a firm grip on the collar "'and cautiously descended the ladder.' "'I'll not come to the hospital,' she cried warningly. "'Don't! He'll bite your leg off!' "'I'm merely teasing him, Mrs. Delancey. "'He shan't harm my legs. Don't fear. "'Now watch for developments.' "'Pausing just beyond reach of the dog's mightiest leaps, "'he took a firm hold on the ladder and swung down with the vest "'until it almost slapped the head of the angry animal. "'It was like casting a fly directly at the head of a hungry pickerel.' Swallow's eager jaws closed down upon the cloth, and the teeth bent like a vice. 
The heavy body of the brute almost jerked Crosby's arm from the socket, but he braced himself, recovered his poise, and clung gaily to the ladder with the growling, squirming dog dangling free of the floor. Mrs. Delancey gave a little shriek of terror. "'Are you... are you going to bring him up here?' she gasped. "'Heaven knows where he'll end.' "'But he'll ruin your vest.' "'I'll charge it up to your account. "'Item, one vest, fifteen dollars.' "'By this time he was swinging Swallow slowly back and forth, "'and he afterwards said that it required no little straining of his muscles. "'You extravagant thing!' she cried. "'But he did not tell whether she meant his profligacy in purchasing "'or his wantonness in destroying. "'And now, pray enlighten me. "'Are you swinging him just for the fun?' "'Or are you crazy?' "'Everything depends on his jaws and my strong right arm,' he said, "'and he was beginning to pant from the exertion. "'Swallow was swinging higher and higher. "'Well, it is the most aimless proceeding I ever saw. "'I hope not. "'On second thought, everything depends on my aim. "'And what is your aim, Mr. Hercules?' "'See that opening above the box stall over there?' "'Dimly.' "'That's my aim. Heavens, he's heavy.' "'Oh, I see,' she cried ecstatically, clasping her hands. "'Delicious!' "'Lovely! Oh, Mr. Crosby, you are so clever!' "'Don't fall off that beam, please,' he panted. "'It might rattle me.' "'I can't help being excited. It's the grandest thing I've ever heard of. He can't get out of there, can he?' "'Dear me! The sides of that stall are more than eight feet high. "'He can't get out of it if I get him in,' gasped Crosby. "'Not ten feet away to the left, and some four feet above the floor level, "'there was a wide opening into a box stall, the home of Mr. Austin's prize stallion. "'As the big horse was inside munching his hay,' Crosby was reasonably sure that the stall with its tall sides were securely closed and bolted. Suddenly there was a mighty creak of the ladder, the swish of a heavy body through the air, an interrupted growl, and then a ripping thud. Swallow's chubby body shot squarely through the opening, accompanied by a trusty, though somewhat sadly stretched vest, and the deed was done. A cry of delight came from the beam, a shout of pride and relief from the ladder, "'and sounds of a terrific scramble from the stall. First there was a sickening grunt, "'then a surprised howl, "'then the banging of horse hoofs, "'and at last a combination of growls and howls "'that proved Swallow's invasion of the hornet's nest. "'Thunderation!' "'came in sharp, agonized tones from the latter. "'What's the matter?' she cried, "'detecting disaster in the exclamation. "'I'm a bloomin' idiot!' he groaned. "'I forgot to remove a roll of bills from an upper pocket in that vest.' "'Oh, is that all?' she cried, in great relief, starting down the ladder. "'All? There was at least fifty dollars in that roll,' he said, from the floor, not forgetting to assist her gallantly to the bottom. "'You can add it to my bill, you know,' she said sweetly. "'But it leaves me dead broke.' "'You forget that I have money, Mr. Crosby.' "'What is mine tonight is also yours. "'I think we should shake hands and congratulate one another.' "'Crosby's sunny nature lost its cloud in an instant, "'and the two clasped hands at the bottom of the ladder. "'I think it's time to cut and run. "'It's getting, it's getting so beastly dark we won't be able to find the road.' 
"'and there is no moon until midnight. "'But come, we're free. "'Let us fly this hated spot, "'as they say in the real novels. "'How good the air feels!' "'She was soon leading the way swiftly toward the gate. "'Night had fallen so quickly "'that they were in utter darkness. "'There were lights in the windows of the house on the hill. "'And the escaped prisoners, with one impulse, "'shook their clenched hands toward them. "'I'm awfully sorry, Mr. Crosby,' "'that you've endured so much hardship in coming to see me,' she went on. "'I hope you haven't had many such clients as I.' "'One is enough, I assure you,' he responded, "'and somehow she took it as a compliment. "'I suppose our next step is to get to the railway station,' she said. "'Unless you will condescend to lead me through this assortment of plows, "'woodpiles, and farm wagons, "'I'm inclined to think my next step will be my last.' "'Was ever a night so dark?' "'Her warm, strong fingers clutched his arm "'and then dropped to his hand. "'In this fashion she led him swiftly through the night, "'down a short embankment, and into the gravel highway. "'The way looks dark and gruesome ahead of us, Mrs. Delancey. "'As your lawyer, I'd advise you to turn back "'and find safe lodging with the enemy. "'It's going to storm, I'm sure.' "'That's your advice as a lawyer, Mr. Crosby.' "'Will you give me your advice as a friend?' "'She said lightly. "'Although the time had passed when her guiding hand was necessary, "'he still held it in his own. "'I couldn't be so selfish,' he protested, "'and without another word they started off down the road toward town. "'Do you suppose they're delaying the opera in Chicago until you come?' "'She asked. "'Poor Graves! He said he'd kill me if I didn't come,' said Crosby, laughing. "'How dreadful! "'But I'm not regretting the opera. "'Kive does not sing until tomorrow night.' "'Oh, I adore Kive. "'You can't possibly have an engagement for tomorrow night either,' "'he said reflectively. "'I don't see how I could. "'I expected to be on a Pullman sleeper. "'I'll come for you at 8.15, then.' "'You are very good, Mr. Crosby, but I have another plan.' Oh, "'I beg your pardon for presuming to—' "'He began, and a hot flush mounted to his brow. "'You are to come at seven for dinner,' she supplemented delightedly. "'What a nice place the seventh heaven is!' he cried warmly. "'Shh!' she whispered suddenly, and both stopped stock still. "'There's a man with a lantern at the lower gate. See? Over yonder. "'They're after me, Mrs. Delancey.' "'he whispered. "'A moment later they were off the road "'and in the dense shadow of the hedge. "'Is he still in the barn, Mr. Austin?' "'demanded the man in the buggy. "'I'm positive he is. "'No human being could get away from that dog of mine.' "'Grosby chuckled audibly, "'and Mrs. Delancey, with difficulty, "'suppressed a proud giggle. "'Well, we might as well go up and get him, then. "'Do you think he's a desperate character?' "'I don't know anything about him, Davis.' "'He says he's a lawyer, but his actions were so strange "'that I thought you'd best look into this case. "'A night in the jail won't hurt him, "'and if he can prove that he's what he says he is, "'let him go tomorrow. "'On the other hand, he might turn out to be a very important capture.' "'Oh, this is rich,' whispered Crosby excitedly. "'Austin is certainly doing the job up brown, "'but wait till he consults Swallow, the infallible. "'He won't be so positive.' For a few minutes, the party of men at the gate conversed in low tones, the listeners being able to catch but few of the words uttered. 
"'Please let go of my arm, Mrs. Delancey,' said Crosby suddenly. "'Where are you going?' "'I'm going to tell Austin what I think of him. "'You don't expect me to stand by and allow a pack of jays to hunt me down as if I were Jesse James, do you?' "'Do you suppose they would credit your story? "'They'll throw you into jail, and there you'd stay until someone came down from Chicago to identify you.' "'But a word from you would clear me,' he said in surprise. "'If they pinned me down to the truth, "'I could only say I had never seen you until this afternoon.' "'Great Scott! You know I'm Crosby, don't you?' "'I am positive you are. "'But what would you, as a lawyer, "'say to me if you were cross-examining me on the witness stand? "'You'd ask some very embarrassing questions. "'And I could only say in the end "'that the suspected horse-thief told me his name "'and I was goose enough to believe him. "'No, my dear friend, "'I think the safest plan is to take advantage "'of the few minutes' start we have "'and escape the law.' "'You mean that I must run from these fellows as if I were really a thief?' "'Only a suspected thief, you know. "'I'd rather be arrested a dozen times than to desert you at this time.' "'Oh, but I'm going with you,' she said positively. "'Like a thief, too? "'I couldn't permit that, you know. "'Just stop and think how awkward for you it would be if you're caught flying together. "'Birds of a feather. "'It might have been worse if you had not disposed of Swallow.' "'I've got to tell you what a genuine brick you are. "'If they overtake us, "'it'll give me the greatest delight in the world "'to fight the whole posse for your sake. "'After that, do you wonder I want to go with you?' "'She whispered, "'and Crosby would have fought a hundred men for her. "'The marshal and his men were now following Mr. Austin "'and the lantern toward the barn, "'and the road was quite deserted. "'Mrs. Delancey and Crosby started up rapidly "'in the direction of the town.' The low rumble of distant thunder came to their ears, and ever and anon the western blackness was faintly illumined by flashes of lightning. Neither of the fugitives uttered a word until they were far past the gate. "'By George, Mrs. Delancey, we're forgetting one important thing,' said Crosby. They were striding along swiftly, arm in arm. "'They'll discover our flight, and the railway station will be just where they expect to find us.' "'Oh, that's right. We can't go to the station, can we?' "'We can, but we'll be captured with humiliating ease. "'I know what we can do. "'Scott Higgins is the tenant on my farm, "'and he lives half a mile farther from the town than Austin. "'We can turn back to his place, "'but we will have to cut across one of Mr. Austin's fields. "'Charming. "'We can have the satisfaction of trampling "'on some of Mr. Austin's early wheat crop. "'Right about face. "'But incidentally, what are we to do "'after we get to Mr. Higgins's?' They were now scurrying back over the ground they'd just traversed. "'Oh, dear me! Why should we think about troubles until we come to them?' "'I wasn't thinking about troubles. I'm thinking about something to eat.' "'You are intensely unromantic. But Mrs. Higgins is awfully good. She'll give us eggs and cakes and milk and coffee and everything. Won't it be jolly?' Five minutes later they were plunging through a field of partly grown wheat, in what she averred to be the direction of the Higgins' home. It was not good walking, but they were young and strong, and very much interested in one another and the adventure. "'Hello, what's this? A river?' he cried, as the swish of running waters came to his ears. "'Oh, isn't it dreadful? I forgot this creek was here, and there's no bridge nearer than a mile.' 
"'What shall we do?' "'See, there is a light in Higgins's house over there. "'Isn't it disgusting? "'I could sit down and cry,' she wailed. "'In the distance a dog was heard barking fiercely, "'but they did not recognize the voice of Swallow. "'A new trouble confronted them. "'Don't cry,' he said resignedly. "'Remember how Eliza crossed the ice with the bloodhounds in full trail? "'Do you know how deep and wide the creek is?' "'A tiny bit of a thing, but it is wet.' "'she said ruefully. "'I'll carry you over.' "'And a moment later he was splashing through the shallow brook, "'holding the lithe, warm figure of his client "'high above the water. "'As he set her down upon the opposite bank, "'she gave a pretty sigh of satisfaction, "'and naively told him that he was very strong "'for a man in the last stages of starvation. Two or three noisy dogs gave them the first welcome, "'and Crosby sagely looked aloft for refuge. "'His companion quieted the dogs, however.' and the advance on the squat farmhouse was made without resistance. The visitors were not long in acquainting the good-natured and astonished young farmer with the situation. Mrs. Higgins was called from her bed, and then a jiffy was bustling about the kitchen, from which soon floated odors so tantalizing that the refugees could scarcely suppress the desire to rush forth and storm the good cook in her castle. "'It's mighty lucky you got here when you did, Mrs. Delancey,' said Higgins, peering from the window." "'Looks as if it might rain before long. "'We ain't got much of a place here, "'but if you'll put up with it, "'I guess we can take care of you overnight.' "'Oh, but we wouldn't think of it,' she protested. "'After we've had something to eat, "'we must hurry off to the station.' "'What station?' asked Crosby sententiously. "'I don't know, "'but it wouldn't be a bit nice "'to spoil the adventure by stopping now.' "'We can't walk all over the state of Illinois,' "'he cried.' "'For shame! You're ready to give up the instant something to eat comes in sight? "'Mr. Higgins may be able to suggest something. "'What is the nearest?' "'I have it,' interrupted Crosby. "'The Wabash Road runs through this neighborhood, doesn't it? "'Well, where is its nearest station?' "'Lonesomeville, about four miles south,' said Higgins. "'Do the night trains stop there?' "'I guess you can flag them. "'There's an eastbound train from St. Louis about midnight.' While the fugitives were enjoying Mrs. Higgins' hastily but adorably prepared meal, the details of the second stage of the flight were perfected. Mr. Higgins gladly consented to hitch up his high-boarded farm wagon and drive them to the station on the Wabash Line, and half an hour later, Higgins's wagon clattered away in the night. We'll return with the Day of the Dog, Part 2, right after the sponsor messages. And now, back to our story. To all appearances he was the only passenger, but seated on a soft pile of grain sacks in the rear of the wagon, completely hidden from view by the tall side-beds, were the refugees. Mrs. Delancey insisted upon this mode of travel as a precaution against the prying eyes of persistent marshal's men. Hidden in the wagon-bed, they might reasonably escape detection, she argued, and Crosby humored her for more reasons than one. Higgins threw a huge grain tarpaulin over the wagon-bed, and they were sure to be dry in case the rainstorm came as expected. It was so dark that neither could see the face of the other. He had a longing desire to take her hand into his, but there was something in the atmosphere that warned him against such a delightful but unnecessary proceeding. Naturally, they were sitting quite close to each other. Even the severe jolting of the springless wagon could not disturb the feeling of happy contentment. "'I do hope it won't storm.' 
she said nervously, as a little shudder ran through her body. The wind was now blowing quite fiercely, and those long distant rolls of thunder were taking on the sinister sound of nearby crashes. I don't mind thunder when I'm in the house. And under the bed, I suppose? He laughed. Well, you know, lightning could strike this wagon, she persisted. Oh, goodness, that was awfully close, she cried. "'as a particularly loud crash came to their ears. "'The wagon came to an abrupt stop, "'and Crosby was about to crawl forth to demand the reason "'when the sound of a man's voice came through the rushing wind. "'What is it?' whispered Mrs. Delancey, clutching his arm. "'Shh!' he replied. "'We're held up by highwaymen, I think.' "'Oh, how lovely!' she whispered rapturously. "'How far are you going?' came the strange voice from the night. "'Oh, as far again as half,' responded Higgins warily. "'That you, Scott?' demanded the other. "'Yep.' "'Say, Scott, give me a ride, will you? Going as far as Lonesomeville?' "'What are you doing out this time of night?' demanded Higgins. "'Looking for a feller that tried to steal Mr. Austin's horses.' "'We thought we had him cornered up to the place, but he got away somehow. "'But we'll get him. "'Davis has got fifty men scouring the country, I bet. "'I've been sent on to Lonesomeville to head him off if he tries to take a train. "'He's a pretty desperate character, they say, too, Scott. "'Say, give me a lift as far as you are going, won't you?' "'Well, I—I I, I reckon so,' floundered the helpless Higgins. "'Really, this is getting a bit serious.' "'whispered Crosby to his breathless companion. "'The deputy was now on the seat with Higgins, "'and the latter, bewildered and dismayed beyond expression, "'was urging his horses into their fastest trot. "'How far is it to Lonesomeville?' asked the deputy. "'Oh, about two miles.' "'It'll rain before we get there,' said the other significantly. "'I ain't fear to rain,' said Higgins. "'What are you going over there this time of night for?' "'asked the other. "'You ain't got much of a load. I, "'I'm i taking some meat over to Mr. Talbert. "'Hams?' "'No, just bacon,' answered Scott, "'and his two hearers in the wagon bed laughed silently. "'Not many people out on a night like this,' "'volunteered the deputy. "'Nope. "'That a tarpaulin you got in the back of the bed? "'Just saw it by the lightning.' "'Yeah, I got the bacon covered to keep it from wet in case it rains,' hastily interposed Scott. He was discussing within himself the advisability of knocking the deputy from the seat and whipping the team into a gallop, leaving him behind. "'You don't mind my crawling under the tarpaulin if it rains, do you?' "'There ain't no room under it, Harry, and I wouldn't allow that bacon to get wet under no circumstances.' A generous though nerve-wracking crash of thunder changed the current of conversation. It drifted from the weather immediately, however, to a one-sided discussion of the escaped horse thief. "'I guess he's a pretty slick one,' they heard the deputy say. "'Austin said he had him dead to rights in his barn. That big bulldog of his had him treed on a beam. But when we got there, just after dark, the darn cuss was gone, and the dog was trapped up in a box stall. By thunder, it showed how desperate the feller is.' He evidently come down from that beam and just naturally picked up that terrible bulldog by the neck and throwed him over into the stall. "'Have you got a revolver?' asked Higgins loudly. "'Sure,' 
"'You don't suppose I'd go up against that kind of man without a gun, do you?' "'Oh, goodness!' someone whispered in Crosby's ear. "'But he ain't armed,' argued Higgins. "'If he'd had a gun, don't you suppose he'd have shot that dog "'and got away long before he did?' "'Now well, that just shows how much you know about these crooks, Higgins,' "'said the other loftily. "'He had a mighty good reason for not shooting the dog.' "'Yeah, what was that?' "'I don't know just what it was, "'but any darn fool ought to see that he had a reason. "'Else why didn't he shoot? "'Of course he had a reason. "'But the funny part of the whole thing "'is what's become of the woman?' "'What woman?' "'That widder,' responded the other, "'and Crosby felt her arm harden. "'I never thought much of that woman. "'You'd think she owned the whole town of Dexter "'to see her parading around the streets, "'showing off her city clothes and all such stuff.' They do say she led George Delancey a devil of a life, and it's no wonder he died. The wretch! Came from the rear of the wagon. Well, she's up and skipped out with the horse thief. Austin says she tried to protect him, and I guess they had a regular family row over the affair. She's gone, and the man's gone. It looks darn suspicious. He was a good-looking feller, Austin says, and she's dead crazy to get another man, I've heard. Dang me, it's just as I said to Davis. I wouldn't put it above her to take up with this good-looking thief and skip off with him. Her husband's been dead more than two years, and she's too darn pretty to stay in a strict mourning longer than she has to. But just then something strong, firm, and resistless grasped his neck from behind, and even as he opened his mouth to gasp out his surprise and alarm, a vice-like grip shut down on his thigh, and then he was jerked backward, lifted upward, tossed outward, falling downward. The wagon clattered off in the night, and a tall man and a woman looked over the side of the wagon bed and waited for the next flash of lightning to show them where the official gossiper had fallen. The long, blinding flash came, and Crosby saw the man as he picked himself up from the ditch at the roadside. "'Whip it up, Higgins, and we'll leave him so far behind he'll never catch us,' cried Crosby eagerly. The first drops of rain began to fall, and Mrs. Delancey hurriedly crawled beneath the tarpaulin, urging him to follow at once." Another flash of lightning revealed the deputy, far back in the road, waving his hands frantically. "'I'm glad his neck isn't broken. Hurry on, Mr. Higgins. It's now more urgent than ever that you save your bacon.' "'Tain't very comfortable riding for Mrs. Delancey,' apologized Higgins, his horses in a lope. "'If the marshal asks you why you didn't stop and help his deputy, just tell him that the desperado held a pistol at your head and commanded you to drive like the devil.' "'Holy mackerel, here comes the deluge!' An instant later, he was under the tarpaulin, crouching beside his fellow fugitive. Conversation was impossible, so great was the noise of the rainstorm and the rattle of the wagon over the hard pike. He did his best to protect her from the jars and bumps incident to the leaping and jolting of the wagon, and both were filled with rejoicing when Higgins shouted, "'Whoa!' to the horses, and brought the wild ride to an end. "'Where are we?' cried Crosby, sticking his head from beneath the tarpaulin. "'We're in the dump shed of the grain elevator, just across the track from the depot.' "'And the ride is over?' "'Yep. Did you get bumped around much?' "'It was worse a thousand times than sitting on the beam,' bemoaned a sweet, tired voice, and a moment later the two refugees stood erect in the wagon, neither quite sure that legs so tired and stiff could serve as support. "'It was awful, wasn't it?' Crosby said, stretching himself painfully. 
"'Are you not drenched to the skin, Mr. Higgins?' cried Mrs. Delancey anxiously. "'How selfish of us not to have thought of you before!' "'Oh, that's all right. This gum coat kept me pretty dry.' He and Crosby assisted her from the wagon, and, while the former gave his attention to the wet and shivering horses, the latter took her arm and walked up and down the dark shed with her. "'I think you're regretting the impulse that urged you into this folly,' he was saying." "'If you persist in accusing me of faint-heartedness, Mr. Crosby, "'I'll never speak to you again,' she said. "'I cast my lot with a desperado, as the deputy insinuated, "'and I am sure you have not heard me bewail my fate. "'Isn't it worth something to have one day and night of real adventure? "'My gown must be a sight, and I know my hair is just dreadful, "'but my heart, but my heart is happier and brighter tonight than it's been in years.' "'And you don't regret anything that's happened?' he asked, pressing her arm ever so slightly. "'My only regret is that you heard what the deputy said about me. "'You don't believe I'm like that, do you?' "'There was sweet, womanly concern in her voice. "'I wish it were light enough to see your face,' he answered, his lips close to her ear. "'I know you're blushing, and you must be more beautiful. "'And no, of course I don't think you were at all as he painted you,' he concluded." "'suddenly checking himself "'and answering the plaintive question "'he had almost ignored. "'Thank you, kind sir,' she said lightly, "'but he failed not to observe "'the tinge of confusion in the laugh that followed. "'If you'll watch the team, Mr. Crosby,' "'the voice of Higgins broke in "'at this timely juncture. "'I'll run across to the depot "'and ask about the train.' "'Much obliged, old man, much obliged,' "'returned Crosby affably. "'Are you afraid to be alone in the dark?' "'he asked, as Higgins rushed out into the rain. "'The storm had abated by this time, "'and there was but the faintest suggestion "'of distant thunder and lightning, "'the afterfall of rain being little more than a drizzle. "'Awfully,' she confessed. "'But it's safer here than on the beam,' she added, "'and his heart grew very tender "'as he detected the fatigue in her voice. "'Anyhow, we have the papers safely signed. "'Mrs. Delancey?' "'I swear that you shall never regret this day and night,' he said, stopping in his walk and placing his hands on her shoulders. She caught her breath quickly. "'Do you know what I mean?' "'I... I think so. I'm not quite sure,' she stammered. "'You will know some day,' he said huskily. When Mr. Higgins appeared at the end of the shed, carrying a lighted lantern, he saw a tall young man and a tall young woman standing side by side, awaiting his approach with the unconcern of persons who have no interest in common. "'Ah, a lantern!' cried Crosby. "'Now we can see what we look like and who we are.' Higgins informed them that an eastbound passenger train went through in twenty minutes, stopping on the sidetrack to allow westbound number seven to pass. This train also took water near the bridge which crossed the river just west of the depot. The westbound train was on time, the other about five minutes late. He brought the welcome news that the rain was over and that a few stars were peeping through the western sky. There was unwelcome news, however, in the statement that the mud was ankle-deep from the elevator to the station platform and that the washing out of a street culvert would prevent him from using the wagon. "'I don't mind the mud,' said Mrs. Delancey, very bravely indeed. "'My dear Mrs. Delancey,' "'I can and will carry you a mile or more, "'rather than have one atom of Lonesomeville mud "'bespatter those charming boots of yours,' "'said Crosby cheerfully, 
and her protestations were useless against the argument of both men. The distance was not great from the sheds to the station, and was soon covered. Crosby was muddy to his knees, but his fair passenger was dry as toast when he lowered her to the platform. "'You are every bit as strong as the hero in the modern novel,' she said happily. "'After this, I'll believe every word the author says about his stalwart, indomitable hero.' To say that Higgins was glad to be homeward bound would be putting it too mildly. The sigh of relief that came from him as he drove out of town a few minutes later was so audible that he heard it himself and smiled contentedly. If he expected to meet the unlamented Harry Brown on the home trip, he was to be agreeably disappointed. Mr. Brown was not on the roadway. He was instead on the depot platform at Lonesomeville, and when the westbound express train whistled for the station, he was standing grimly in front of two dumbfounded young people who sat sleepily and unwarily on a baggage truck. The feeble-eyed lantern sat on the platform near Crosby's swinging feet, and the picture that it looked upon was once suggestive of the cheap, sensational, and blood-curdling border drama. A mud-covered man stood before the trapped fugitives, a huge revolver in his hand, the muzzle of which, even though it wobbled painfully, was uncomfortably close to Mr. Crosby's nose. "'Throw up your hands,' said Brown, his hoarse voice shaking perceptibly. Crosby's hands went up instantly, for he was a man and a diplomat. "'Point it the other way,' cried the lady, with true feminine tact. "'How dare you! Oh, will it go off? Please, please put it away. We won't try to escape.' "'I'm taking no chances on this feller,' said Brown grimly. "'It won't go off, ma'am, unless he makes a move to get away.' "'What do you want?' "'demanded Crosby indignantly. "'My money? "'Take it, if you like, "'but don't be long about it.' "'I'm no robber, damn you!' "'Well, what in thunder do you mean "'by holding me up at the point of a revolver?' "'I'm an officer of the law, "'and I arrest you. "'That's what I'm here for,' said Brown. "'Arrest me?' "'exclaimed Crosby in great amazement. "'What have I done?' "'No back-talk now, young feller. "'You're the man we're after.' "'and it won't do you any good to chew the rag about it.' "'If you don't turn that hard pistol away, I'll paint,' "'cried femininity in collapse. "'Crosby's arm went about her waist, "'and she hid her terror-stricken eyes on his shoulder. "'Keep that hand up,' cried Brown threateningly. "'Don't be mean about it, old man. "'Can't you see that my arm is not at all dangerous?' "'I gotta search you.' "'Search me?' "'Well, I guess not. Where's your authority?' "'I'm a deputy marshal from Dexter.' "'Have you been sworn in?' "'That's all right now. No more rag-chewing out of you. That'll do. You! Keep your hands up.' "'What am I charged with?' "'Attempted horse-stealing, and you know it.' "'Have you a warrant? What's my name?' "'That'll do you now. That'll do you.' "'See here, my fine friend.' "'You've made a sad mistake. "'I'm not the man you want. "'I'm ready to go to jail, if you insist, "'but it'll cost you every dollar you have in the world. "'I'll make you pay dearly for calling an honest man a thief, sir.' "'Crosby's indignation was beautifully assumed, and it took effect. "'Mr. Austin's the man who ordered your arrest,' he explained. "'I know Mrs. Delancey here, all right, and she left Austin's with you.' "'What are you talking about, man? "'She's my cousin,' "'and drove over here this evening to see me between trains. "'I think you'd better lower your gun,' 
"'This will go mighty hard on you. "'He has you confused with that horse-thief "'who said his name was Crosby, Tom,' said she, "'pinching his arm delightedly. "'He was the worst-looking brute I ever saw. "'I thought Mr. Austin had him so secure "'with the bulldog as guardian. "'Did he escape?' "'Yes, and you went with him,' exclaimed Brown, "'making a final stand. "'And I know about how you come over here "'in Scott Higgins's wagon, too.' "'The man is crazy,' exclaimed Mrs. Delancey. "'He may have escaped from the asylum up north to here,' whispered Crosby, loud enough for the deputy to hear. "'Here comes the train,' cried she. "'Now we can ask the train men to disarm him and send him back to the asylum. "'Isn't it awful that such dangerous people can be at large?' Brown lowered his pistol as the engine thundered past. The pilot was almost in the long bridge at the end of the depot when the train stopped to wait for the eastbound express to pass. The instant that Brown's revolver arm was lowered and his head turned with uncertainty to look at the train, Crosby's hand went to his coat pocket, and when the deputy turned toward him again, he found himself looking into the shiny, glittering barrel of a pistol. "'Throw that gun away, my friend,' said Crosby in a low tone, "'or I'll blow your brains out.' "'Great Scott!' "'Guessed Brown. "'Throw it away.' "'Don't kill him,' pleaded Mrs. Delancey. "'Brown's knees were shaking like leaves "'and his teeth chattered. "'His revolver sailed through the air "'and clattered on the brick pavement "'beyond the end of the platform. "'Don't shoot,' he pleaded, "'ready to drop to his knees. "'I won't, if you're good and kind and obliging,' "'said Crosby sternly. "'Turn around. "'Face the engine. "'That's right. "'Now listen to me.' "'I've got this pistol jammed squarely against your back, "'and if you make a false move, "'well, you won't have time to regret it. "'Answer my questions, too. "'How long is that bridge?' "'I, I don't know. "'It's rather long, isn't it? "'With the frill and trestle, it's nearly half a mile. "'What's the next stop west of here for this train?' "'Hopville, forty miles west. "'Where does the eastbound train stop next after leaving here?' "'It don't stop till it gets over in Indiana.' Thirty miles or more. I'm much obliged to you. Now walk straight ahead until you come to the blind end of the mail car. At the front end of the mail car, Crosby and his prisoner halted. Everyone knows that the head end of the coach, just back of the engine tender, is blind. That is, there's no door leading to the interior, and one must stand outside on the narrow platform, if perchance he is there when the train starts. As the eastbound train pulled in from the bridge, Coming to a stop on the track beyond the westbound train, Crosby commanded his erstwhile captor to climb aboard the blind end of the mail coach. Gee, Williker, don't make me do that, groaned the unhappy Brown. Get aboard and don't argue. You can come back tomorrow, you know, and you're perfectly safe if you stay awake and don't roll off. Hurry up. If you try to jump off before you reach the bridge, I'll shoot. A moment later, the train pulled into the bridge, and Crosby hurried back to his anxious companion. Brown was on his way to a station forty miles west, and he did not dare risk jumping off. By the time the train reached the far end of the bridge, it was running forty miles an hour. "'Where is he?' she cried in alarm, as he rushed with her across the intervening space to the coveted eastbound. "'I'll tell you all about it when we get inside this train,' he answered. I think Brown is where he can't telegraph to head us off any place along the line, and if we once get into Indiana, we're comparatively safe. Up you go, and he lifted her up the car steps. Safe, 
she sighed, as they dropped into a seat on the coach. "'I'm ashamed to mention it, my dear accomplice, but are you quite sure you have your purse with you? With the usual luck of a common thief, I'm penniless.' "'Penniless because you gave your fortune to the cause of freedom,' she supplemented, fumbling in her chatelaine bag for her purse. "'Here it is. The contents are yours until the end of our romance.' The conductor took fare from him to Lafayette and informed the mud-covered gentleman that he could get a train from that city to Chicago at 2.30 in the morning. "'We're all right now,' said Crosby, after the conductor had passed on. "'You are tired, little woman. Lie back and go to sleep. The rough part of the adventure is almost over.' He secured a pillow for her, and she was soon resting as comfortably as it was possible in the day-coach of the passenger train." For many minutes he sat beside her, his eyes resting on the beautiful, tired face with its closed eyes, long lashes, pensive mouth, and its frame of dark hair, disarranged and wild. <laughs> it's strange, he thought, almost aloud, how suddenly it comes to a fellow. Twelve hours ago I was as free as a bird in the air. And now? Just then her eyes opened widely with a start as if she had suddenly come from a rather terrifying dream. They looked squarely into his, and he felt so abashed that he was about to turn away when, with a little catch in her voice, she exclaimed, "'Good heavens! What is it?' he cried. "'You're not married, are you?' "'No.' Like a culprit caught, she blushed furiously, and her eyes wavered as the lids fell, shutting from his eager, surprised gaze the prettiest confusion in the world." It, "'It just occurred to me to ask,' she murmured. Crosby's exhilaration was so great that, after a long, hungry look at the peaceful face, he jumped up and went out into the vestibule, where he whistled with all the ardor of a schoolboy. Then he returned to his seat beside her. She was awake, and the little look of distress left her face when he appeared, a happy smile following it. "'I thought you had deserted me,' she said. "'Perish the thought.' "'Mr. Crosby, if you had a pistol all the time we were in the barn, "'why did you not shoot the dog and free us hours before you did?' "'She asked sternly. "'I had no pistol,' he grinned. "'From his pocket he drew a nickel-plated menthol inhaler "'and calmly leveled it at her head. "'It looked very much like a pistol in the darkness,' he said, "'and it deserves a place among the cherished relics "'descending from our romance.' The next night, two happy, contented persons sat in a brilliant Chicago theater, and there was nothing in their appearance to indicate that the day and night before had been the most strenuous in their lives. "'This is more comfortable than a crossbeam in a barn,' she smiled. "'But it is more public,' he responded. Three months later, they were married, and Crosby won both lawsuits. We hope you enjoyed this story by Robert Barr McCutcheon. Titled... The Day of the Dog. Thanks for joining us here at 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales. This is your host, John Hagedorn. We've had a couple of great reviews lately, and I just wanted to share a couple with you. Wonderful Stories, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, five stars. Great stories, from the selection to the production quality. I look forward to them daily, and now listen to several of the 1001 series. That one from CLT Mobile, Apple Podcast, U.S., and this one, Master Storyteller, 1001 Classic Short Stories and Tales, 5 stars. John puts story to voice like no other. 
always a great listen. Now from T.N. Morga, Apple Podcast, U.S. Thank you so much for taking the time to write these reviews. They are greatly appreciated, and I know they help new listeners decide to give us a try. As you know, we bring new episodes every Wednesday at 5 p.m. Eastern Time and every Sunday at 12 noon Eastern Time. So until our next episode, everyone, stay safe, and we'll be back soon.